We're going to continue with Acts today. Shocker, right? <laughs> we're in, how many of you know we're in week 24? Come on, somebody. I never in my life thought I would preach a series for 24 weeks. 24 weeks of Acts, and we're only in chapter 16. Come on, somebody. Can you say slow? Man, that's slow. Taking our time. How many of you got your binders with you? Let me see those binders that we launched. Come on, somebody. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Y'all got me so excited. How many of you got brought a real Bible? Let me see your real Bible. What? Come on. Thank you, Jesus. I just made my day. I'm, I'm, amen. Let's go home. Like, like you got your Bible in your binder. I hope you've been enjoying this series. <clears throat> I have. Question for you. I want to start with a question, with a couple of questions this morning. How many of you know someone who can really stir a pot? Like somebody can stir some junk up. Show by hands, by, by show of hands, how many of you know somebody? Come on. Everybody knows somebody. Don't, don't get all religious on me this morning. I need some crowd participation. How many of you know somebody that can stir a pot? Raise your hand. By the, by the name of Jesus, you better raise your hand. Okay. All right. So put your hands down. How many of you are brave enough to admit that person is you? <laughs> All right, we got some honesty in the house. Just had to see, just had to see. This, the title of today's message is Pot Stirrer. Pot Stirrer. Look at your neighbor, speak to them prophetically and say, you know what? You're a pot stirrer. <laughs> some of you have been wanting to say that for a long time, but you better mean it the right way. You're a pot stirrer. So I want to show you today how the Holy Spirit will use you to stir up a friend, to stir up a family, to stir up a city or a region if you will allow him. The Holy Spirit is a pot stirrer. He moves into someone's life and he stirs things up. He moves into a family and he stirs things up. He moves into a city and he stirs things up. He moves into a region and he stirs things. The Holy Spirit can stir a pot. Come on, somebody. Mary Elizabeth Baxter said this. She said, when the Holy Ghost is not resisted, he can work quickly. You want me to say that again? When the Holy Ghost is not resisted, he can work quickly. When? When he's not resisted. That was worthy of writing down. Come on, somebody. I, want, I got three thoughts for you this morning, three things I want us to grab from Acts chapter 16. You can open your Bibles if you want to. Before I get into those three thoughts, I want to catch you up on chapter 16. It starts out with Timothy. It starts talking about Timothy. This was the moment when Paul went and called Timothy into the ministry. He went to Timothy and he said, I want you to come and go with me on my mission to plant churches. So he calls Timothy to come with him, and the first thing he does to Timothy, and this, some of you, if you were here last week and you paid attention, you wasn't sleeping, you, you'll notice the first thing, this will be an issue, that the first thing Paul does with Timothy is he gets Timothy to get circumcised. Now that's, a, that, that's an issue, that should raise up a flag. The reason I'm mentioning it, mentioning it is because I know some of you read your Bible along with the series and you may be sitting here wondering, well why, hold up a second, what's up with Paul? Like only last chapter he was arguing vehemently against circumcision, now he's getting his right hand man circumcised. Like what's up with Paul, is he, is he, is he tripping? It's worth an explanation. Last chapter, Paul was arguing vehemently against circumcision because the Judaizers were trying to put circumcision, uh, they were trying to attach circumcision to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. 
In other words, in all, the only way to be right with God was to, be, to believe what Jesus did on the cross, to believe in the resurrection, but then to get circumcised. And Paul said, no, 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 no. You can't add anything to the cross. You can't add anything to the resurrection. If you try to, you've already messed up. So Paul wasn't necessarily arguing against circumcision. He was arguing against circumcision for salvation. But he knew that Timothy's ministry would be predominantly to the Jews and it would be to Timothy's advantage to be circumcised. And I know this is a little bit technical for some of you that aren't that technical, but some of you are technical and you like stuff like this. I like stuff like this. So, so Paul has Timothy circumcised in the first paragraph of chapter 16, first five verses. So three thoughts I want to share with you today. The first thought is is the importance of following the Holy Spirit. We're living in a day and age and a time and even an hour where it is, it is critical for us as believers, and hear me now, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to Jesus and received his spirit, it is critical for you in this hour to follow the Holy Spirit. Hear me clearly. To follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't know how to do that. Okay, are you going to stay there? Or are you going to do something to learn how to do that? Are you going to dig into your Bible? Are you going to get into a life group? Are you going to ask a friend who's, who knows how to follow? What are you going to do to learn how to follow the Holy Spirit? Because you can't sit in the pit of excuses any longer. You've got to learn how to follow the Holy Spirit. Because we're living in a day and an hour where there's false teaching all around. We're in the last days, and it's not getting any better. The importance of following the Holy Spirit. Chapter 16, verse 6. Watch what happens with Paul and Silas. Next, Paul and Silas travel through the area of, of, of uh, Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at the time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north to, north to the province of Bithynia, but again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. So clearly, Paul and Silas had a ministry plan. They had a strategy on where to go and preach the gospel. What you need to understand today, just to get a little bit of context, is the gospel has not been preached in these regions before. Paul and Silas are carrying something that people would hear for the very first time ever. Think about that. So I guarantee you, just from studying Paul, that Paul had a plan. Paul had a strategy. If they had maps, they probably laid out the map and, and, and plotted out a plan or, or a way to spread the gospel. And they were going to Asia. They, wanted, they felt like it was a good plan to bring the gospel to Asia. So they go to Asia. They're actually in Asia. So the Holy Spirit didn't prevent them from going to Asia. He prevented them from preaching the word in Asia, which I think is this. I think everywhere Paul went to preach the gospel, he found a roadblock. 
he found resistance. He couldn't get an open door. There wasn't a place for him to preach. And everywhere he goes, and, and I would imagine Paul getting, getting frustrated because he can't seem to get an open door to preach the word. And so, so the Holy Spirit's preventing them from preaching the word in Asia. So they travel around looking for more open doors. Verse 9 says that that night Paul had a vision. I find it interesting when the Bible tells me the time of day something happens. That night, what does that mean? I'll give you my personal view. You can take it for whatever it's worth. My personal view was it was at night because I believe Paul during the day was trying so hard to push the gospel into places and finding prevention and resistance that he wasn't even listening he was so caught up in the doing that he, he couldn't see and couldn't hear clearly. And only at night do we relax enough. Only at night do we shut our minds down enough to begin to see and to hear clearly. So I believe, my own personal opinion, we can argue it, we can debate it. I won't go too far with you. It's not that big of a deal. But I believe, I know even in my own personal life, that sometimes I have to get to a place of relaxing, calming down, breathing Letting go of everything, that's when I hear the Holy Spirit the best. Doesn't mean he can't catch me on the fly if he need to, but I think he likes to be in a calm environment when he talks to me. And I believe he likes it when my heart is settled, when my soul is just at a peace, and that's when he wants to speak to me the most. It's at night that Paul gets the vision. The Bible could have easily said during the day. Dreams typically happen when we sleep. Visions can happen all day long. Just technical. So the issue wasn't that God didn't want the gospel to go to Asia, in case you were wondering. It was that the gospel needed to be in Macedonia now. And you got to understand this. The gospel would eventually reach Asia. It's believed that Peter brought the gospel to Asia first. Paul came along later to strengthen the church. But Peter was the one who actually brought the gospel to Asia. So Paul can't go into Asia and preach. He can't go and establish a church. Instead, he gets a vision to go to Macedonia. God wasn't mad at Asia. And God wasn't more in love with Macedonia. you got to understand something about God. When God knows the bigger picture... And when he wants you to move in a certain place or go speak to a certain person or go do this or go do that, he wants you to do it now because he's set the stage for that to happen and you're his representative in that moment. So today, more than ever, we have to follow the Holy Spirit because there's people who desperately need what you have. They desperately need the gospel. They desperately need some encouragement. And they need it now. It was made clear that Paul was on the wrong track when he got the vision from the man in Macedonia. I want you to notice Paul's response. Look at verse 10. So we decided to leave for Macedonia when? At once. Having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news where? There. So in a moment, Paul and Silas, because of this vision, get some help from the Holy Spirit 
to get back on track with the Holy Spirit. Now, let's not be naive and think that we're automatically on track. <laughs> Your trains ever get off the track? Come on, somebody. You ever take a left when you should have took a right? <laughs> you ever went your way instead of God's way? Okay, you get off track. We all get off track. Paul, in a moment, realizes because of this vision, oh, I'm off track. He at once gets back on track. Listen to me clearly. When the Holy Spirit course corrects you, you need to get on his course at once. No hesitations. No room for excuses. When the Holy Spirit brings conviction in your life, you need to react now. You don't need to wait. You don't need confirmation from anybody else. You don't need to seek all this wisdom and all these higher powers. Just go. At once, he goes. I want you to hear this today. The things God wants to do are usually time sensitive. That's why we must stay in timing with the Holy Spirit. Oh, you got to hear me today. <laughs> Listen to me. It's time sensitive. Somebody's about to end their own life. And God's tapped your shoulder to go bring encouragement to them right now. But I'm in the middle of this. Leave that and go there. It's time sensitive. Eventually, Asia, or evidently, Asia was not ready for this move of God yet, but Macedonia was primed for it. You might want to write this down because I think we're going to need some help with this. We will have to mature to the point where the Holy Spirit can change our plans and we're okay with it. We're going to have to mature to the point where the Holy Spirit can change our plans and we're okay with it. You're going to have to mature to the point when the Holy Spirit says, no, don't go there, go here, that you don't throw yourself on the ground like your kids do at Walmart when you didn't buy them a candy. Because <laughs> as, as adults, we do the same thing. It just looks a little different. Oh, come on, you'll drag your lip all across this town, boudin, because God changed your plans. Your whole countenance will change. Let me, let me just back that up with some scripture today. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, one of my life verses. It may not be in your notes. It may not even be on a slide. It says this, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Who determines our steps? The Lord determines our steps. Who makes our plans? We make our plans. Paul had a plan. He wanted to go to Asia. He, he had a strategy. He was going to hit each city as he went. And the Holy Ghost said, no, Paul, I want you to go to Macedonia. Paul made his plans, the Lord determines his steps. My God, there is so much freedom in that, that if we'll just grab a hold of it, that I can make my plans. It's good plans. Paul had a good, solid plan. And just because it wasn't God's plan doesn't mean it was a bad plan. It just means his plan didn't have the timing of heaven on it. So we're going to have to grow up. 
I would encourage you today to live with your hands wide open. Live with your schedule wide open. In fact, I would encourage you, some of you to go find your calendar with a big old eraser or some whiteout and start to make some room for God. You need to start to make some room for God to disrupt your life because you're bored to death with your Christian life because you haven't made room for God to disrupt nothing. So you're living in a box called religion and you can't even be used by God because your schedule's so dang tight that the Holy Ghost can't even get in. I don't, I don't know who I'm speaking to, but... And, and listen, this is not a call to be lethargic. I'm a busy man, but listen to me. I'm listening to the Holy Spirit tell me all the time, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? You want me to drop this and then go do that? I'll do it. Some days I get it right, some days I get it wrong. But I'm making room. Some of you need to make room for God in your own heart. You need to make room for God in your own mind. Some of you need to live with an expectation that the Holy Ghost will use me today if I will make room for him. So all of my people who are a little bit afraid of charismatic things, let me say this. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. So when he uses you, don't fear. It won't be something out of your natural character. (laughs) Like you're not going to go to Susie's house and knock on her door with a message from the Lord and then start shouting and preaching. He's not going to make you do that. You'll be there with your sweet little tender voice. Susie, this is what the Lord says. I feel like the Lord told me to tell you this. Listen to me. Is it okay? Whether you're screaming or you're whispering, you can still be used by God. (laughs) So don't fear. Just go with your personality. He picked you because of your personality. He made you. So he definitely knows how to use you. So that must mean if he's telling you, he wants to use you because what he made you with and put inside of you is perfect for that moment. So tell the devil to shut up. He's a liar. And go do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. Come on, somebody. Get the fear out the way. So this moment is very important for Paul, and you're going to see why shortly. There are people and opportunities waiting on your response to the Holy Spirit. So first thought, we have to understand the importance of following the Holy Spirit. The greatest thing you can do today as a Christian is follow the Holy Spirit. Second thought is what does it look like when the pot gets stirred? What does a stirred pot look like? (laughs) There's three significant events that happen when Paul gets to the place that the Holy Spirit leads him to. Three significant events that we're going to talk about. The first one is Paul runs into this lady named Lydia. Say Lydia. The Bible describes Lydia in verse 13 to 16. Listen to what it says. On the Sabbath day... We went a little way outside of the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who gathered there. So let me just help you, let me give you some context. They're actually in the city of Philippi, 
It's, it's, it's in the region of Macedonia. They're in the city of Philippi. It's on a main road. It's, a, it's an ex-military family town. There's a lot of ex-military families that live in this town now, and they were given rights as Roman citizens to do certain things in this city. And Lydia is in this city, but there's a problem. There's Paul's typical uh, mode of operation was to go into a city, find a synagogue, preach the gospel, find some believers, and then build from there. But there were no synagogues in Philippi. There were no churches in Philippi. So when there was no churches in a region or in a city, the people who believed or the people who worshipped would gather typically by a river in an open space. It was kind of just a known thing. And so Paul travels outside of the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who gathered there. Now, I find this very interesting that Paul and Silas crash a women's prayer meeting. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Paul and Silas just walk up. I ain't going in the women's prayer meeting. You tripping? I, uh, uh, I'm, uh, that's out of bounds. I'm not going to. Uh, they might pr- Paul crashes a women's prayer meeting. Verse 14. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant. Listen to how the Bible explains her. A merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. So who's this Lydia lady? She's a dealer, a merchant. We don't use the word merchant very often. She, she was dealing with expensive cloth. She was in a niche market. Because the Bible tells us that she was dealing with not just any cloth, but purple cloth, right? And, and in those days, purple was the most expensive color to establish. So they would have to literally go into the water, find a certain shellfish, bring it out and extract a certain color from them, and do this whole process to establish the color purple. And it was such a, a tedious task that it was very expensive to buy purple clothes or purple cloth. Lydia is a businesswoman. She's killing it. She figured out how to make purple, and her clientele is wealthy. Like only the richest of the rich can buy purple in those days. The Bible also tells us that she was worshiping God. But she wasn't yet a believer. Some of you just hit the curb. All throughout Scripture, the Bible talks and shows us how people will sometimes worship a God or a form of God or have some kind of fear of God, but not necessarily be saved. Not necessarily be a believer. Because watch the next sentence. It says, as she listened to us, the Lord did what? He opened her heart. And she accepted what Paul was saying, verse 15, she and her household were baptized and she asked us to be her guest. Paul walks up into a meeting, a women's prayer meeting, by the way, sits down, starts to share the gospel. Lydia's there, the wealthy businesswoman. Her heart gets opened. She accepts what they said, and then her whole household gets saved. Can you say stir the pot? Lydia's family got stirred. 
You see, when Lydia got stirred, then her whole family got stirred. Mm-hmm. Lydia was the first fruit of Philippi. I want you to see this for a second because I want to speak to, <laughs> I'll be careful how I say that. I want to speak to this male chauvinist thing that I myself have been guilty of. Watch out, Jeff. I might need some backup on this one. God, by his spirit, sends Philip, I mean, sends Paul and Silas into Philippi, and the first person he leads them to is a women's prayer meeting. The first convert in Philippi is a woman named Lydia. Just going to let that settle for a minute. In fact, the church was planted in Lydia's house. God marched Paul and Silas into Philippi, led them to a woman, and the woman was the one responsible to start the church in Philippi. Philippi is where we get the book of Philippians from. The church gets launched in Lydia's house. Don't ever underestimate the power of a woman. Don't ever underestimate what God can do through a woman. Some of you men are in this room today and you're following Jesus because your wife took the lead and your wife went after Jesus first. And you don't need to be mad at her about that. You need to actually praise her a little bit about that because she had enough gumption to get up and go to Jesus when she couldn't get to you. And for some of you ladies who have a hard-headed man, don't raise your hands, please. If you have a hard-headed man and he's being stubborn, just take the lead. It kills me to say that. Because I don't believe a woman should have to lead like that. But if you got to lead, lead. I'm preaching to myself. I just... My name's Jamie. I can be a male chauvinist sometimes. I just have this hard belief that a man should lead. I don't have a hard belief that women can't lead. I just have a hard belief that the man should be leading. Does that clarify a little bit? Okay. And I'm tickled pink that our church is not majority women. Take me the right way. <laughs> Our children's church, that building in the back with two different kids' environments is 90-plus percent boys. Our youth group is 90 percent boys. Don't tell me God's not doing something here. Don't tell me God's not doing something here. If you got daughters, don't get mad because there's a lot of boys around. You better put them right here because you're going to just find them a man up in this church, and he's a godly man. <laughs> better here than out there. And if you got some little girls that are intimidated by all the boys in church, just tell them to be strong, mama. That wasn't even in my notes. <laughs> Lydia was a generous woman. The Bible says that she, she said this to Paul. She asked us to be her guest. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. 
She just met these dudes. They was at Circle Park praying with all of her sisters. And T-Bar walks up, sits down, talks about Jesus. And she bringing him home? Now be careful with that. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> just saying. You better make sure it's the Lord. <laughs> But she became generous in a moment. Do you know the hardest people, the people that have the hardest time being generous, are the wealthy people? Did you know that poor people are more generous than wealthy people? Some of you bought into the lie that when I get more, I'll give more. That's a lie from the pit of hell. When you get more, the statistics show that you give less. She already had it. God opened her heart. She accepted what Paul said, and she becomes generous. And I find it very interesting that the first church in Philippi is planted in the generous lady's house. I'm going to back that up with some scripture in a minute. Because Paul, when he would write to, to, to Philippi in Philippians, he talked about their generosity. Paul talked about their generosity. In fact, I'll go as far as to tell you this, that in Philippians, Paul talked about how all the other churches didn't give him anything, but Philippi did. They actually supported his mission. Think about it. The first convert in Philippi is a woman, a businesswoman who's wealthy, and she instantly gets saved, and her family gets saved and baptized, and she's a generous woman. She opens her home not only to Paul, but to the church. The church was birthed in generosity. Ah, oh, you got to hear me today. Generosity is one of the major structures of the church. God always moves through generous people. God always moves through generous people. People who don't hold too tightly to their time, their talent, and their treasure. God always moves through generous people. God loves generosity. In fact, he says, I love a cheerful giver. I love the people that get it so good, they laugh when they give it. Mm. How can you laugh when you're giving? Because you know what your giving is doing. Come on, somebody. You sowing a seed into somebody's life and you go, oh, this is going to mess you up in a good way. Oh, praise God. And I'm going to get some more to give to somebody else. So let me encourage you not to hold too tightly to your time, your talent, and your treasure. Can I get a better amen? So the first significant event is, the, is Lydia. The second one is the slave girl. <laughs> Interesting story. The slave girl is important because she leads to something else. Verse 16 to 19 says, One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned, say this with me, a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. That's her message. She's following them, shouting this. Now, now, some of you would think that's not a bad thing. This went on day after day until Paul was so exasperated that he turned, he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. 
Her master's hopes of wealth were, not shat- were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace as they passed a couple licks on them on the way. <laughs> so they run into slave girl. Not only was she a slave to man, she was a slave to Satan. She was a slave to man because man owned her, but she was a slave to Satan because she was demon-possessed. Just a little technical thing real quick. We don't believe that believers can be possessed by a demon. They can be oppressed, tormented, frustrated by a demon, but not possessed. Believers can. But unbelievers can very well be possessed by demons. Okay, let me just make sure I'm in the right church preaching the right message. <laughs> unbelievers can be possessed by demons. Demons can be Expelled. Demons can be cast out. You have, you, 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 you have the authority to cast out demons. So when you see one, cast him out. So Paul cast out the demon. But it was the demon that gave her the ability to tell the future. And most theologians believe she was really good at it. Because her owners were very wealthy. The people like accepted her and her ability to tell the future. It's interesting. Satan gained a lot from her because people were focusing on her and not God. Let me share a story with you. About a month or so after my mom died, um, and this will relate to some of you, because some of you have, it'll relate to you. About a month or so after my mom died, my aunt um, calls me up one afternoon. She says, hey, uh, I know you, you, you probably don't believe in this stuff, but, like, I, I just really needed to hear your mama's voice, so I called a psychic. I was like, what, did grandma hear you say that? <laughs> I'm like, She'll knock your teeth in the back of your mouth. I said, okay. She said, I, I called the psychic because I wanted to hear your mama's voice. I said, okay. And it, it, it overwhelmed me because it was something really out of her character. It's not something that my family necessarily did. We didn't necessarily serve God, but we didn't go. Anyway. <clears throat> so she said, here's what your mama told me to tell you. And she proceeded to tell me everything that my mama said. And as I'm listening, I'm going, that kind of sounds like my mom. That sounds like something my mom would say. Wow. Only my mom would have known that. And so she finished telling me. I said, Aunt Liz, I said, listen, I just got to be straight with you. I don't believe in that stuff. I said, even though what she or whoever said sounded good, its source is demonic. So I kindly said, so I rebuke everything that you just told me, and I rebuke that whole thing for you too. I said, because it's demonic. And she didn't know what else to say, so she got off the phone. You might want to write this down. No matter how good something sounds, if its source is demonic, I promise you there's a hook hidden in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yo, I want to chase a rabbit. Can I just? Mm-hmm. 
I don't know if I need to chase that rabbit. But you know, a good fisherman knows how to hide his hook. A good fisherman can take a plastic worm and hide a hook in it and throw it out in front of a fish that's been eating worms his whole life. And that fish, though it looks good, will bite and then the fisherman will set the hook. Just because something sounds good, if its source is demonic, it is demonic. We don't go to psychics. We go to the Lord. We got the Holy Ghost. We don't go to fortune tellers. Come on, somebody. I ain't even calling the people in, in California. You seen the, the commercial? One dollar, you can get your, your... I'm like, you want to read my poem? I'm, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Sorry. Maybe if we was in the cattle pasture, I would have said it. But I, just, well, I ain't going to say it in church. <laughs> no matter how good something sounds, if its source is demonic, I promise you there's a hook in it somewhere. Don't be naive. We're living in a day where there's no room for, for, for being naive. If it ain't God, it ain't good. Come on, somebody. So Paul and Silas end up in jail. After getting, getting, getting beaten with some wooden rods. In fact, Paul, three separate occasions, is beaten with wooden rods. These rods would open up the flesh, break bones, and you name it. And so Paul and Silas are beaten with rods, thrown in the jail. Jail was a dungeon. It did not have air conditioning. It did not have colored TV. They, didn't, they couldn't make a phone call. Come on, somebody. They didn't have a bed with a mattress. They didn't get three square meals a day. Or a pack of cigarettes. You couldn't do none of that. A jail in those days was a dungeon. A cold cave with people making sure you don't come out of it. And they were shackled at their feet. And, and, and I want you to pay attention right now because I'm about to step on something that I think you need, to, you need to hear this morning. You need to be aware that when you start to tear down strongholds in a friend, in a family, in a city or a region, the enemy's going to fire back at you with everything that he's got. And when he fires back, you don't need to run and tuck tail. You just need to take it like a man or a woman and sing your way through it. And when you come out of it, know that God's going to do something with it. Just because trouble comes from the enemy doesn't mean that we quit. Just because we face resistance doesn't mean that we quit. When you tear down strongholds, the enemy's going to get mad. My conclusion to that is take your foot and jam it down his throat. And keep jamming it down his throat until he falls on his back. Don't quit. He's coming after your marriage. Don't quit. He's coming after your children. Don't quit. You may need to change your game, but don't quit. I love Paul's boldness. Because Paul stood against demonic activity of a city. And I want you to hear this. When you start to speak against some demonic things... It's not popular, and it hurts. They lied about Paul and Silas. They made up rumors about them, got them thrown in jail. It's not popular, and it hurts. Stand against the demonic. Some of you won't tell your kids to stop doing what they were doing because you're afraid you're not going to be popular anymore with your kids. 
Did I just say that? You're giving your kids things that you never had because your parents, oh, God. Parenting is not a popularity contest. And it hurts. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Lord Jesus. I'd rather have my kids mad at me all the way to heaven than to be glad all the way to hell. So Paul stood against the demonic activity of that city and he faced the consequences of it. He paid a dear price for it. Him and Silas both paid a dear price for it. And now they find themselves shackled in jail, shackled at the feet, and they're in pain from the beating. I mean, literally, you need to, you need to get a visual of this because it brought me to tears last night. He, he, he cast the demon out of the girl. He set the captive free which is what we're called to do as Christians. He set the captive free, and he got in trouble for it, and he got beaten for it. And then right after his beating, they drug him and Silas and threw him into a cave, a cold, dark, wet cave, and shackled their feet and did not administer any care to them. So they're sitting in a cave, beaten, open wounds, bruised, and they're sitting in their pain. You ever have to sit in some pain? Some of you are good at running from pain. You ever stop long enough to sit in some pain? There's other people there too. You know there's always others in your life. I see a pattern starting to develop as we go through Acts. That when the believer gets into a situation that's painful, their response is simply this, worship. Now, now don't let that become a religious thing to you. Let it become something that's, that's crucially real to you. That, that there's a pattern. When the early believers, when the early saints, the ones fresh with Jesus, when they would go through pain, worship would come out of them. You see, worship's got to be in you before worship can come out of you. Come on, worship team, do, do we not believe that? That worship has got to be in you before it can come out of you. And the pain just squeezes the worship out of you. What comes out of you when you get hurt is what was in you. So they're sitting there in pain. And the Bible says that they're praying and singing. What's worship? Praying and singing. And there's other people watching or listening. The Bible says around midnight they're worshiping and the other prisoners are listening. When it says the other prisoners are listening, that translation turns out to be this. The other prison prisoners enjoyed listening. It speaks that the other prisoners enjoyed listening to Paul and Silas pray and sing. They enjoyed listening to Paul and Silas pray and sing. I'm going to show you the effect of that in a minute. Here's some questions first. What is your pain song? 
You got a pain song? When you get squeezed a little too hard. You got a song coming out? What's your pain song? What's your go-to? I hope your song's not complaining. I hope your pain song is not posting. I hope your pain song is not calling a friend. I hope your pain song has something to do with Jesus. I hope it has something to do with worship. And I hope it has something to do with the only thing that can help you in the moment. You see, when they were squeezed real tight, they didn't go out. They went up. They went up first. We always go up first, and then we go out afterwards. You want to post something? Tell people what God did after you went through your pain. Tell them how he delivered you after you went through your pain. Don't tell them that you're in pain. Oh, I broke my toe. I took my finger. My kids ain't acting right. Shut up. For the love of God, shut up. Sorry. I don't know. People are still posting. (laughs) Pastor Jamie just hurt my feelings. I'm going to that other church. Hashtag praise the Lord. (laughs) My God. Can you have the greatest connection on the planet and we still run to other people first we still seek the approval of other people first we get the father we get the great counselor the Holy Spirit we got Jesus interceding for us and we're hurt legitimately hurt and we're running to people before we ever run to the healer, the counselor, the helper, the teacher, the one who can help us. All right. So what's your pain song? Next question, who's listening? How do your kids learn how to walk through difficult situations? They don't teach that in school. How do your kids learn how to walk through crisis? How do your kids learn how to walk through disagreements? How do your kids learn how to walk through some junk? By watching you walk through some junk. My kids have seen my wife and I fight. They've also seen us make out. (laughs) And they used to say, that's sick. Ethan's sick now. (laughs) I told him, I said, one day you're going to be sick too, bro. That's when he was a little kid. My girl's going to get sick, too. It's coming. Not, not too soon. We're going to keep them healthy for a while. Come on, kids. I need y'all to help me. I love you, son. Mm-hmm. I told you it was true. So what's your pain song? Who's listening? Here's the third significant event, the jailer. So we, we, we find Lydia, the church gets planted with a woman who's wealthy in her house. They run into slave girl. 
set the captive free, get beaten, thrown in prison. Now they're in prison singing and praying. They're worshiping, and the other prisoners are listening. Watch what happens in verse 26. It says, suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains, watch this now, the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to, to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer was going to kill himself because if, they, if, his, if his bosses found out that the prisoners escaped, they were going to kill him. So he was just beating them to the punch. He's like, I'm going to go ahead and fall on my own sword and kill myself before they get a chance to kill me because I don't want somebody else to kill me. And Paul saves his life by saying, we're all here. The jailer, verse 29, called for the lights and ran to, ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, what hour was it? Midnight. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Oh, man, there's so much here. I find it amazing at how many things get shaken in a worship service. I felt it this morning. I'm telling you, I was crying. I was laughing. I was mad. I was all these. I felt all kind of emotion. It's amazing to me what can be shaken and broken in a worship service. I want you to notice that all the chains, all the, that the chains of all the, of the, 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 the I want you to notice that the chains of all the prisoners fell off. Everybody's chains fell off, fell off, fell, fell off. <laughs> Paul, in a moment, saves the jailer's life by reassuring him that everyone was there. Have you ever done prison ministry? You know, there's a whole different breed of people in jail. Okay, not breed of people, but a whole different mentality of people in jail. I want to be careful. Some of you, I feel like you're a little offended by some things I said. There's a whole different mentality of people in prison. 99% of them are victims. They never admit what they did was wrong. They always justify. They always, so it's a mentality of a prisoner. Like it's everybody else's fault. If somebody, this, if this would have happened, if, that would have, if the stars would have lined up and that bird wouldn't have fell out of the tree, then I wouldn't be in prison. The chains fall off and the doors, it says all the doors swung open. Anjali, if all the doors at the Eunice jail swung wide open, they'd all be gone? Not even 1% would stay. Okay. 
Do you remember when it said they were enjoying listening to Paul and Silas? <laughs> Somebody's listening to your pain song. And I know it sounds a little crude, but they're finding joy in your pain song. Don't be mad at them. Just be glad that they're listening, especially if your song is going up. And when they could have took off running, they stayed. Wow. That's the first thing that I find very interesting about the whole story is that they stayed. I think, I think God wanted us to see, and I think the reason all the shackles fell off and all the doors opened up is because God wanted us here in Eunice this morning to understand that when people are sitting with you in your pain, listening to your pain song, it's changing their life. It's changing their mentality. It's changing their soul. It's changing their spirit. Don't hide your pain. Let your pain be known, but express your pain to God. And in the process, watch what God will do. People can't enjoy what you're denying. I've never told you to deny that you're in pain. You're in pain, you're in pain. It'll change the people around you. The jailer is overwhelmed by Paul's kindness and his heart is open to the gospel. And the jailer and his family are saved that night at midnight. I want you to catch something real quick because maybe you didn't catch it. In verse 33 it says, even at that hour of the night the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. That's important. Because you see... In one move, God can cause the man who inflicted your wounds to bow low and wash your wounds. The same man who was in charge of inflicting the wounds on Paul and Silas is now at midnight washing and caring for their wounds. Don't tell me God can't turn it around. Don't tell me God can't change their mind. Don't tell me God can't change them. Don't tell me God can't change your situation. Don't tell me he can't do something with your past. Don't tell me he can't do something with your hurt and your pain and your sorrow and your grief. Don't tell me God can't do something with it. God can do anything he wants to do with it, and he will if you'll let him. I imagine, I can only imagine how humbled Paul was to be sitting there. Think about this, just sitting there, wounded, bleeding, hurting, sitting there, and the guy who put the wounds on him is now taking care of him. Can you say Shazam? <laughs> Shazam! <laughs> Come on, y'all used to watch cartoons? Like, wow. But it gets better. Watch this, it gets even better. Then verse 34, it says, it says, and he brought them into his house and set a meal before them. Can I give you a verse real quick? Psalms 23, 5. You prepared a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. 
The dude that just a couple hours ago was beating the, the gahina out of me is now mending my wounds and cooking me supper. I think God wants us to rise above the hurt and the pain. I think God wants us to rise above even the person who wounded us. That's why it's critical to forgive the people that have wounded you. Because as long as you don't forgive them, you're still hanging out with them. You're still shackled to them. But when you forgive them and you just let God do something in your pain, he'll cause the situation to flip. He'll flip the whole situation on you. This dude's cooking for him. I hope it was good. It should have been good. I mean, like, bro, you beat me. You better bring me some prime rib. Come on, somebody. And then the Bible says that the jailer's whole family was baptized that same night. I got a great quote. You got to hear this quote. You probably never heard it before. Mary Elizabeth Baxter said this. When the Holy Ghost is not resisted, he can work quickly. Did y'all hear that? Is that like the first time you heard that? No, it's the second time you heard that. I said it twice today. (laughs) When the Holy Ghost is not resisted, he can work quickly. (sighs) I caught you. I caught you. Gotcha. I planned that, by the way. Last night I kind of giggled as I was prepping my message at about 11 o'clock. I kind of giggled at that part. So I'm glad it worked. (laughs) Help me. Number three. I want you to see what a city looks like turned upside down. So Lydia gets saved. Slave girl gets delivered. The jailer gets saved. And the city is upside down. Everywhere Paul and Silas went, no matter how they got there, they were stirring the pot. Philippians chapter 1. This is Paul's letter back to the church. Y'all just hang with me. I got 30 more minutes. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to 9. Watch this. Paul's letter back to, to the church in Philippi. This letter is from Paul and who? Timothy was the guy he picked up before he went to Philippi. Slaves of Christ Jesus, I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. Who's that? Who's the church leaders and deacons? Lydia. Slave, well, she's not slave girl. Freed girl. Freed girl, come on. And the sanctified jailer. Come on, somebody. He ain't beating nobody no more. Come on. (laughs) Lydia, free girl, and the jailer. They're all church leaders. Paul's writing to them. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain... I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you, are a, you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. Verse 8, God 
knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. Paul wrote that letter 10 years after the story we just went through. He wrote it from a jail cell. <laughs> he was locked up again. <laughs> Paul got a rap sheet. <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> Don't be ashamed if your rap sheet, if your rap sheet's for Jesus. Come on. He writes the letter 10 years after the church was planted in Lydia's house. The first church in Philippi was a diverse mix of races and cultures and classes of people. You had Lydia who was upper class businesswoman. Lydia was saved at a prayer meeting. Well, I want you to see this, how this all happened. The jailer was a middle class Roman man who was saved by the power and the grace. Power and grace of God. And then the slave girl was a lower class Greek girl who was saved after being delivered from Satan's slavery. She got saved in deliverance. This church would be one of Paul's main sources of income and support. Like I told you earlier, I believe it came from Lydia and her generosity. I believe she was generous and had a great influence over the church. So the story finishes up like this. Paul and them finished eating at the jailer's house, baptized his family, went back to the jail, and then word got to the authorities that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, and the authorities said, well, just let them go. And Paul said, no, you judge me publicly, you're going to come over here and do this the right way. And so they had to humble themselves and go to the prison and say they were sorry before Paul would relent. And then the Bible says that Paul, chapter 16, verse 40, it says that when Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left the town. It's important to follow the Holy Spirit. Number two, you need to know what it is to stir the pot. You go and preach the gospel in this city and in this region and in your family and with your friends, you're going to stir the pot. Don't be afraid because the pot gets stirred. Just stir the pot as the Holy Spirit leads you and watch and see what God does through all of it. And then we'll start to see a city turned upside down. I believe God has started that here, and I believe he's going to continue to do it here. And I believe God wants to use us to stir up this city and this region, all of St. Landry Parish, all of Evangeline Parish, and all of Acadia Parish. I believe that's where God wants us to stir up. So wherever you go this week, I want you to go with a stick in your hand. Or no, go knowing that you are the stick. You're the stick in the Holy Spirit's hand to stir the pot. And you do that by allowing him to use you 
and by making sure that you're following him. Amen? One last question. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Here's the question of the day. Will you let the Holy Spirit use you to stir the pot? I just told you what the pot was. The pot's St. Landry Evangeline in Arcadia Parish. The pot is also Eunice. It may be Perron. It may be Basile. It may be Iota. It may be Richard, Mowar. It may be Redale. Mamu, it may be your family. The pot may be your friend. The pot may be a stranger. Will you let the Holy Spirit use you to stir the pot? Only you can answer that question. And I believe you want to. we have to understand that it comes by following the Holy Spirit not following the world not even following our own fleshly desires but to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit it means we're going to have to die some things inside of us are going to have to die Lord I pray right now over every one of us first thing I pray, Lord, is that we'll see clearly and understand clearly the critical hour that we're living in. Help us to be like the sons of Issachar that knew the signs of the times. They knew the times. They knew the seasons. I pray that over us, God, that we would understand and see the season and the time and the days that we're living in. Help us to understand how critical the hour is, God to reach the lost, to stir a city, to stir a region. I believe all across the globe right now, God, you're stirring up Christians to stir up the cities, to stir up the regions, to stir the world up. So God, I come to you today on behalf of this church and I ask you to stir us up. Stir us up. Help us to see clearly. Help us to understand things that we don't understand. Help us to know that we're in the last days. We're in the, 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 the final hours, God. Help us to know the season. And give us your passion, Jesus. Give us your compassion for the lost. And the hurting and the wounded and the discouraged and those that are down and out. God, move in our hearts. God, move in my heart. I want to be used by you. Use us, oh God, to stir some things up. Enough with the religion. Enough with the tradition. It's time for the real presence and the real power of God to be displayed in this city and in this region. And God, I just call it down from heaven.
Use us, oh God. Use us. Move in us. Take away our fears, our worries, our doubts, our insecurities. Give us a pain song, God. And may we never be ashamed to sing it. Knowing that even those who are listening can be radically changed. Oh God, move in this city. Move in this region. Move in us, oh God. If that's your heart's cry right now, just begin to ask him to move in your life. Invite him in right now in this moment, right there where you're at. Just say, Lord, come in. Lord, move in me. Lord, stir me. Lord, we bless you in this moment. thank you for this moment. We thank you that you love us, you care for us. Where are you at this morning? Where do you find yourself right now? Wherever you've been, however you've been feeling, whether it's been complacency or you've just been taking this whole kingdom of God, this whole presence of God, this whole Christianity thing way too lightly and find yourself today sitting in some kind of conviction from the Holy Spirit that says, I want you out of this. I've called you to more than this. Is that where you're sitting at today? What's your response? What's your response? How are you going to respond? response would be, Lord, here I am. Use me. Use me. I give myself to you today. Completely. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.